AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS. CHS is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States, diversified in energy, grains, and foods. CHS is committed to helping its customers, farmer owners, and other stakeholders grow their businesses through its domestic and global operations. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Brett Stewart, uh, welcome to AgriPulse Open Mic. Thanks, Ken. Great to be here. Let's talk about uh, some of the drivers regarding uh, some restrictions we have of exporting into the world market, especially on our meat products. Um, Let's take China to begin with. Um, Why do they have these restrictions on products that we feel are wholesome, safe, and economical that we could ship them? Well, China's a very complex export market, Uh, no doubt about it. It's it's for most of our commodities, it's our largest potential market. However, it is very complex. And to really understand U.S. agriculture trade with China, I think it's important to look at China and say, what does China want? What is their goal? Uh, as U.S. agriculture, farmers, ranchers, we look and say, we produce the safest, most affordable food on the planet. Why wouldn't everyone want that? And you look at China, China doesn't want the most affordable food on the planet. What China wants is self-sufficiency. China wants to be able to feed itself to the extent that it can. And if you think about it from their perspective, uh, very cheap or affordable food is a threat to them. Um, I follow the hog markets very closely in China, follow China hog prices every week to try and understand in relation to our markets what can happen. And it's interesting, the Chinese policy, if you look at their five-year plans and the things that they put out on food policy, uh, their goal is not the most affordable food. Their goal is self-reliance. And maybe it's not 100% self-reliance, maybe it's 95%. But what they look at is the, the mantra that we all understand very well here in the United States, high prices lead to higher production. And China is very ambitiously working to grow ag production every year. So you think about what that means, it means they need high prices. Um, Low corn prices, cheap pork prices coming into their country um, do not help their domestic farmers produce more. And so China has some very, very strong motivations to protect their market. They want high prices. They don't want consumers in the streets with pitchforks, but they want prices just below that somewhere. Uh, price is high enough that all farmers in China say we need to produce more. And so their motivation is very different from our motivation. And uh, I think that helps understand a lot of what goes on with U.S. ag trade with China. China and Hong Kong, if you combine them, have have leapfrogged very quickly to become the number one buyer of U.S. agriculture products. We cannot ignore them. We, uh, we're a little bit codependent. We need them, and in a sense, they need us. Um, but it's it's more of a managed trade situation where we say, hey, open the floodgates. We can send you great affordable products for all your consumers. And China's going, no, we need to we need to maintain production. And so when we look at what goes on, whether it's uh, chicken anti-dumping countervailing duties that they imposed, whether it's ractopamine certification requirements they imposed um, for beef. We've been banned from China since 2003, since the 
mad cow discovery in Washington State 10 years ago. Um, BSC is a disease that's nearly eradicated worldwide now, but China has yet to allow U.S. beef into their country. So if, from my standpoint, I follow beef, pork, and poultry, we have big issues on every species going into China right now. But it is complex, and it is very sensitive, and it is very political. To validate that, then, are you saying that the values, let's say, of pork in China is higher than it is in the United States? Yeah, much higher. In fact, uh, I'm just looking at a chart. It's not right to date, but it's mid-June. Mid-June, China hog prices on a carcass weight basis were 145, $145 a hundred weight for China hog carcasses in China. Uh, U.S. carcass prices that same week were $97. Now that spread is is fairly narrow. What is that? A $47, $48 spread. Uh, Chinese hogs are $48 a hundred weight more than U.S. hogs on a carcass weight basis. I've seen that spread to where Chinese hog prices are 100% more than wow. U.S. hog prices. Let me ask you about Smithfield Foods and the fact that Chinese uh, want to buy that company. Uh, what does that indicate that they're wanting from outside uh, along with control? What else do they want, buying an American company to theoretically ship them pork? Well, I think if you look at the macro net flow of investment out of China, um, it has been massive the last two years. Um, if you're a Chinese investor or a Chinese company and you have money to spend, it's a great hedge to put some of your investment in a U.S. dollar-based denominated asset. And so we've seen it with energy companies. We've seen it with real estate. There's been a massive outflow of investment out of China as Chinese um, investors are looking for ways to diversify um, Smithfield's a little bit unique. I, I think it's gotten everyone's attention very quickly here. I think uh, if you're Shineway, if you're the Shanghai, as it's uh, pronounced, but Shineway as it's commonly known, you look at this as a great opportunity. If you think about what's going on in China, you have uh, significant food safety issues um, from the melamine scandals a few years ago in milk to um, tainted pork, tainted vegetables, um, there are a real lack of trust of domestic produced food in China. And if you look at the, the more elite Chinese consumer that's educated, that has money, they are very interested in imported food. And so for a company like Shineway, you can look at this and say, okay, we can source a USDA-approved safe product. We can bring it into China um, I don't know. I would assume most of that goes into processed products just because Chinese consumers aren't used to seeing frozen pork. Uh, it's a warm pork market. The, pork, the pigs are slaughtered and, and processed and usually eaten the same day. But the, the market for sausage and these further processed pork products is growing very quickly. And uh, I could see a company like Shineway going, here's a great source for that. It's a source we don't have to worry about safety issues with. Um, it's a great strategic move to say we're diversifying out of our Chinese base currency. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons to do it. I, I'm not a complete conspiracy theorist. I know there are a lot of conspiracies out there, and, and I think Shineway's making a very economically reasonable decision to step out and make this purchase. Let me turn to another part of the world, and that is Russia and the challenges we're having with Russia now. 
I'm sure you'll have to reset for their political situation, but we're also having trouble getting American products into that country. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting. If I look at meat trade, Russia and China are two of our biggest problem markets. Um, We struggle. They're not scientifically based. We talk about science-based trade. They're much more politically science-based trade. Uh, There's strong politics. And what's interesting, what China and Russia have in common is the same motivation when it comes to meat. They both want self-reliance. They both want high prices. They do not want cheap product interfering with their domestic markets. They need high prices to build production. And uh, Russia came out, Russia went from being 30% self-sufficient in poultry back in the 90s uh, to somewhere up around 60, 70% self-reliant today in poultry. But it's not enough. They've made a stated goal. They want to be 85% self-reliant in meat production, beef, pork, and poultry. Now, if I run the numbers, the last three years they've flatlined right around 70%. They're about 15% short. But you talk about hog prices in China, uh, there's only three countries with more expensive hogs than China, and it's Russia, Japan, and South Korea. We've seen the highest pork prices or the highest pig prices on the planet in Russia in the last few years. Um, Russia's fine with that. They're fine with those high prices because they spur more production. They've set up a plan with policies of subsidizing production, um, a, a whole raft of different incentives to get more people to produce pork in China. And I've joked with farmers here in the U.S., especially you look back a year or two years ago when the the hog margins were so dismal, and even this year has been really tough in the hog sector, and said, look, if you pack your suitcase, go to Russia, and say, I want to build a hog farm, go in the front door, go to the government, say, I want to build a hog farm, um, you'll be set up with financing, you'll be set up with a land lease, you'll have tax-exempt status, and for the course of two to three years, Chinese hog farmers made in excess of 50 and $60 per hog. I mean, margins that are just astounding here in the U.S. And I said, here we are in the U.S. struggling to try and make a go of it. The Chinese or the Russian hog farmers would say, why do you farm if there's a loss? There's no way we would farm if there's a loss. And so they build a very protected bubble around themselves to spur higher production. Again, similar to China, same motivation. So they have some very strong political motivations. Both markets are very complicated in that it's just not an ag relationship. We have military issues with those two countries. We have much bigger issues than just agriculture. And unfortunately, with China and Russia, those big issues roll into decisions relating to our agriculture trade. Well, to wrap this up, as far as what the U.S. farmer and agribusiness could do to be uh, competitive in these global markets. Um, do we keep doing what we're doing, or is there a direction shift that you would recommend? No, I think we absolutely keep doing what we're doing. And what we're doing is we're producing the, the safest, most affordable food on the planet. It's incredible to me when we talk and hear in the mainstream media about the U.S. has lost our competitive base in manufacturing. And all we want to talk about is computers and TVs and cars. We don't manufacture anything anymore. And I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We are the most competitive producer of the most important product on earth, and that's food. Um, We keep doing what we're doing. And those price spreads will widen. Chinese domestic prices of corn, wheat, pork, 
rice, whatever it is, compared to U.S. prices, those spreads are going to widen. Their prices are going to get higher. Ours are going to stay competitive. But we cannot ignore these markets. We cannot afford to ignore the massive potential. And China has to come to grips, um, and also Russia, with what they're really capable of achieving. And I think they're clinging by their fingertips to this self-sufficiency principle. But if we look long-term, um, we know that's not sustainable in either country, and I think they do too. I think what we do is we continue to do what we do, um, cling to these principles that have made us the most affordable food producers on the planet, and we will have opportunities in both markets. We do today. As I said, China is a very complex market. They're also the number one buyer of U.S. agriculture. And so I think we continue to stay the course, fight the fights that we fight, and keep uh, pushing forward in the way that we have that's made us so competitive the last 50 years. Brett Stewart, thank you very much for your insight and for being our guest on AgriPulse Open Mic. Thanks, Ken. Great to be with you today. AgriPulse Open Mic has been brought to you by CHS, a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. I'm Ken Root.